This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. How many of you glad that you came to First Wednesday tonight, man? This is... It really is absolutely amazing, absolutely phenomenal. I think sometimes, especially as church people, uh, we are notorious for being in the middle of miracles and not even realizing it. Uh, Sometimes you can be in a revival or asking God to send a revival and God's looking at you like, you're in one. And this is pretty unbelievable to see on a Wednesday night. There's a million places you could be. I heard the parking lot is all jammed and jacked up. Some of you had to park at Costco and walk across the street. Come on, that's just a sign that God's going to do something in this place today. This is, this is unbelievable. I am uh, beyond honored to be back, to say the least. Um, I kind of have a rule uh, when traveling that if you come to a church the first time, you're still kind of in the guest category. But if you get invited back the second time, then you're straight up family. So I hope you know... Come on, you got a chocolate brother named Robert Madu from Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Y'all are stuck with me, man. I absolutely, positively, I love this church. I love the spirit of this house. Um, I just connected with Pastor Randy, and I think uh, you are absolutely blessed with the best of the best. And let me say this, let me say this, because these aren't just empty words for me. I'm just in a season of my life where I so appreciate leaders and pastors whose lives speak louder than any sermon they could ever preach. When you look at their life that they live, their lives will preach to you and their faithfulness to love God and to love his people. And man, I just pray celebration. You never take for granted the incredible gift God has given you and Pastor Randy and Sheree and who they are. Come on, can we just let them know that we are so thankful? Come on, for who they are for the life they live. Y'all could do better than that. Would you let your pastors know how much you're appreciative? Come on, celebration. Make them feel awkward a little bit and feel the love. Thank God for you, Pastor Randy. Thank God for you. So appreciative to be here. And I mean, I would just come to hang with my homie Nick, man. He's my white chocolate brother from another mother. And, uh, and I always have a good time. Hey, I- I'm excited about the word God has given me. I, I want to jump straight to it if I can, because I preached this message to myself last night, uh, responded to my own altar call. Amen. <laughs> and, uh, and I wrote my ministry a check for a thousand dollars. So I know you're going to be blessed because I preached it to myself first. And I really believe that tonight is going to give somebody perspective as to why you're facing what you're facing. I feel like somebody in here might be feeling like, man, Robert, it's the best of times, but it's also the worst of times. And you're wondering why am I going through what I'm going through? I really believe God's going to open your eyes through his word tonight and give perspective uh, to what you're facing. So it's, it's going to be good. I'm going to jump straight to it. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter three tonight, Matthew chapter three, verses 13 through 17. And then we'll also go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And then Matthew 4, 1 through 11. While you're getting your smart device or your Bible or whatever you got, uh, let me see one more time. How many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand? You've never heard me preach before. Man, it's quite a few of you. Okay. Quick disclaimer. Uh, (laughs) I am a hollaback preacher. 
Okay, all that means is over these next few moments we have, it is illegal for you to just sit there and go. That's interesting. No, if anything I say resonates with you or you're feeling it, you can say amen. You can say preach that. Uh, you could grunt. Uh, you could literally stand up in the middle and go, whoo, that was for me. <laughs> you could also stand up in the middle and go, oh, that was for you. For real, you needed that. Any one of those will work tonight, but come on, you can't be quiet when you're at Celebration Church. Come on. A quiet church is a dead church, and you are not dead. You are alive. Amen. Matthew 3, starting at verse 13, when you're ready to read it, say, yeah. You need a little bit more time to find it. Say, hold on. All right, I'll give you some time. That was a desperate hold on. <laughs> I will give you some time. Verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's exactly how God sounded that day, by the way, just in case you were wondering. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Woo, just let that hit you in the face for a minute. 40 days and 40 nights. That, that's a long fast. That is a long fast. Earlier this year, uh, I did a 21-day Daniel fast, a Daniel fast. And four days into the fast, I was convinced Daniel ate Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I said, I want anybody judging me. I struggled to fast four minutes, but Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And I love when the Bible is blatantly obvious. It says, afterward, he was hungry. I bet he was. 40 days, 40 nights with no food. Verse 3 says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Pause, time out. Did you read what we just read? Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. Not only is that hashtag jacked up, but... It lets us know something, and please don't miss this tonight. It lets us know that you have to be real careful how you approach and how you apply the Word of God to your life. 
Because if you have the wrong approach or the wrong application of the word of God, you can actually manipulate scripture to say whatever you want it to say. That's exactly what the enemy is doing. And if you're not careful, uh, you'll start adjusting the word of God to fit your life instead of adjusting your life around the word of God. Yeah, that's, that's, that's for free. That's not even a part of the message. And Jesus interprets scripture to, with scripture and he says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. Him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Can you say amen? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Tonight, tonight, I want to preach, just using this as a title, using this as a subject, the water and the wilderness, the water and the wilderness. Look at your neighbor one last time and say, neighbor, come on, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor in church. Come on, say neighbor. It's about the water and the wilderness. Come on, find another neighbor, find another neighbor, say other neighbor. You're my second option. (laughs) But I want you to know it's about the water and the wilderness. Come on, if you believe God's going to speak to you on first Wednesday, would you give him some praise up in here? I feel like preaching. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray before we jump into this. It's going to be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. Would you bow your heads? God, you are awesome. Speak tonight. Amen. (laughs) the water and the wilderness celebration church this year I will celebrate and commemorate 13 years of full time ministry 13 years full time itinerant ministry for the last 13 years I've had the incredible privilege and opportunity to travel around the world and preach the gospel the good news about Jesus for 13 years. And it's hard, it's hard for my young mind to even believe that it's been 13 years because I first started coming to the church I'm a part of in Dallas, Texas when I was just three years old. I preached my first sermon when I was single, 16, scrawny, still living at home with my parents. Today, I'm happily married, 33, three kids, one dog, no cat, one mortgage, six chest airs. I'm a grown man now, people. I'm a grown man. (laughs) And uh, in my 13 years of traveling, there is a question that I've often been asked, and it is a question based on an assumption. And it'll generally happen after a service, especially if my father is traveling with me. Somebody will inevitably come up to me and say, hey, Robert. How long has your father been preaching? Or Robert, where does your dad pastor? Some people shock. I let them know that my father is not a preacher. My father is a firefighter. For the last 32 years, my dad, Robert Madu Sr., has been fighting fires for the city of Dallas for the last 32 years. Come on, shout out to all the first responders. Come on. Now, my father and I, we have the exact same name, totally different vocations. The same name, distinctly different callings. 
I think that's imperative for you to note tonight because in the unlikely event that your house should catch on fire and you were to be trapped inside of that house that caught on fire and for whatever reason you could only call one Robert Madu to get you out make sure you call the right Robert okay make sure you call the right Robert now don't get me wrong both of us will do our best to make sure you get saved church joke some of you get that tomorrow um, like like neither one of us would want you to experience the flames however However, how we accomplish that objective will be totally different, okay? My father, Robert Madu Sr., who's a fireman, he's going to jump on a fire truck, go inside the house, and rescue you from the flames. My approach is going to be a little bit different, okay? I'm just going to grab a microphone, and I'm going to stand outside a considerable distance away from you that's trapped in the fire, and I'm just going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to say something like, Consider it pure joy, my brother, whenever you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance patience. I know you're in the fire right now, but you're coming out as pure gold because no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Key change. You're not the only one. That's ever been trapped in a fire. Y'all remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in a fire too. And if God got them out, then he, I said he, not me, but he gets you out too. All I'm saying is I'm a preacher, not a firefighter. Ooh, that was fun. Anyway. In all seriousness, in all seriousness celebration, some of my greatest memories as a kid was when I would visit my dad at the fire station. Okay, you got to understand, when you're a little boy and your dad is a fireman and you get to visit him at the fire station, people, the fire station to a little boy is like Disney without the ticket prices, okay? I remember running around the fire station. I'm trying on the uniform. I'm climbing the ladder. I am pretend driving the fire truck. I remember kids at school would be like, hey, Robert, I got a new fire truck for Christmas. I'm like, that's cute. I drive one. Hashtag dream bigger. I mean, it was some awesome moments, some awesome memories that I will never forget. But hear me, celebration, I will never forget the day I'm a kid. I'm visiting my dad at the fire station. I'm pretend driving the fire truck. And all of a sudden, without warning, I hear on the intercom, engine 26, five alarm house fire, engine 26, Five alarm house fire. And all of a sudden, my father went from laughing and smiling at me, pretend driving the fire truck, to all of a sudden in his Nigerian voice saying, Son, get up now. He picks me up, throws me out of the seat to my mom. Immediately, firemen started coming out of the crevices and the corridors of the fire station like ants escaping an ant bed that had just been stepped on. I saw two firemen who were playing ping pong. They threw the paddles in the air and started putting on their gear. One fireman was eating a turkey sandwich. He stopped mid-bite of the turkey sandwich and jumped on the fire truck and in no less than three minutes, the same fire truck I was pretend driving was now peeling out of the parking lot and the same siren I was pushing for my entertainment was now being pushed for an emergency because time was of the essence and destiny was on the line and I will never forget the look on my father's face 
and the immediacy of the moment as he had to quickly transition from a moment of fellowship with his son to now racing to put out a fire that he didn't start. Share my childhood memory with you tonight in a feeble attempt to accurately articulate the tone and the tension of what is happening in Matthew chapter 3 with Jesus' baptism and in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus' temptation. And tonight I need you to feel the whiplash of our Savior because in chapter 3 with his baptism, he is in perfect fellowship with the Father. But in chapter 4 with his temptation, he is racing to put out a fire that he did not start but started in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were disobedient and took of the forbidden fruit and got humanity in the mess that it is in today and the tension is in his transition from Matthew chapter 3 to Matthew chapter 4 Ooh, buckle up your seatbelts I'm going somewhere tonight if you can stay with me uh, one of the things I want you to understand at the onset is that the chapter numbers and the verse numbers that are printed in your Bible although sometimes they can be helpful sometimes they can actually be a hindrance and stop you from getting the context of the text that you're reading so if you're not careful, you'll do what I've done for years, which is to read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, pause for a commercial break, and then read about his temptation in Matthew chapter 4, and you'll be tempted to look at these two events as isolated events that should be viewed independently. But I submit to you tonight that these two events were never supposed to be viewed independently, but rather interdependently, because God has actually given us biblical blues clues as to what you will face as a believer. God is just letting you know that if you are going to live a life of faith and walk this thing out, there is a trajectory that your life will go through. There is something that is inevitable that you will face. All I'm trying to tell you tonight is that there is a connection between the water and the wilderness. The water and the wilderness. The water and the wilderness. Ooh, maybe, maybe I read the wrong verse of scripture tonight and I shouldn't have read Matthew's account. Maybe I should have read my boy Marky Mark's account. Because look at how Mark puts it in Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 13. It says this. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 12 says, immediately, immediately, no chapter break, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast. Mark says, immediately Jesus went from the water to the wilderness. It is that immediately that irritated me this entire week because I'm trying to figure out how in the world one moment he's being baptized, the next moment he's in a battle. One moment he is in total comfort, the next moment he is in total conflict. One moment he is in cohesive community, the next moment he is in complete isolation. One moment he hears a voice from heaven, the next moment he hears a voice from hell. One moment he's in the water getting a word from heaven, the next moment he is in the wilderness facing real warfare. Come on, don't act like you ain't never been there before. How in the world is it on Sunday or Wednesday you experience God's power and presence by but the very next day, it's like the enemy puts laser beams from hell on your forehead. One moment you're stepping out in great faith. The next moment, fear has gripped your heart. One moment you want to pray for your enemies and bless them that curse you. The next moment you want to look at all your haters and speak to them in a tongue that needs no interpretation. Come on, somebody. Does anybody know what it's like? 
to make the transition from the water to the wilderness. The tension is in the transition. Why is it celebration? Why is it that on the pathway to your purpose, en route to your destiny, that the GPS system, God's positioning system, will always tell you, start on water road, then make a sharp right turn into the wilderness. You always go from the water to the wilderness. Before I talk about what happened in the wilderness, I first want to discuss what happened in the water. And I need you to understand tonight that Jesus' baptism was a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal. This is an epic moment. In fact, let me say tonight, if you put your faith in Jesus and you hadn't gotten baptized yet, what's wrong with you? Get baptized. (laughs) If Jesus got baptized, you know your cray-cray self (laughs) needs to get baptized. (laughs) Jesus' baptism was an epic moment. His baptism was like a scene at the beginning of the movie that if you missed it because you were putting extra butter on your popcorn, you may as well go home and wait for the movie to come out on Netflix because you will be confused the entire movie. This was an epic moment. I find it intriguing. Of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who put pen to paper to talk about the life of Jesus, Only two of them discuss Jesus' birth, Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't even deem it necessary to discuss the birth of Jesus. Come on, you know you gangster when you skip Christmas, okay? (laughs) They don't even talk about his birth, but all four of them talk about what happened in the water and what happened in the wilderness. All four of them said you cannot miss these significant moments. Jesus' baptism was a big deal. I know it was because the Bible says when Jesus got baptized that immediately the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. Come on, you know when the heavens opened up that the atmosphere has just shifted. You know when the heavens open up an announcement is going to be made over your life. You know when the heavens open up you are going to get a word from God. Come on, that's why you here on a Wednesday night, not so you can hear a cute message, that we can sing songs off a screen like it's Christian karaoke, but is there any radical believers that you said, I came tonight for the heavens to open up in my life so I can experience God's power and his presence? Come on, can we take a praise break and just give God some praise like you want to see the heavens open? Oh, some of y'all ain't been through nothing. Some of you are going through some hell in your life. And you say, I need the heavens to open up in my life. When the heavens open up, something is going to happen. You do know that the next time the heavens open up, a trumpet is going to sound. And we are leaving this earth and going to our real home that is in heaven and in glory. Oh, When the heavens open up, something is going to happen. I know Jesus' baptism was a big deal simply because of who showed up at the baptism. Because for the first and only time in the New Testament, the whole Godhead, the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit made a cameo appearance at the exact same time. Because you got God the Father making a declaration from heaven. You got God the Son being baptized in the water. And you got the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Come on, when the whole Trinity shows up, you know this is a big moment. I know, I know his baptism was a big deal simply because of what the father was declaring over the son. See, the father was not declaring random words. The father was declaring a truth that has to be the anchor in your soul whenever life comes against you. The father was declaring something that you got to know that you know that you know, no matter how much the enemy is making you think that God forgot about you. The father was declaring a truth that has to be cemented in your heart whenever life comes against you. And that truth is this. I am loved. 
I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God and he, I'm going to say it till you get it. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. Woo. How many of you know that truth right there will change your life forever? Okay, like 14 of you know it. The rest of you are going to find out in a minute. I'm telling you, that truth, once that gets grounded in your heart, that will change the way you walk into a room. That will change the way you feel about yourself. The day you begin to understand you are loved, you are a child of God, and he is pleased with you. I want to give you a dare. It's a free country, but I want to give you a dare on this first Wednesday. Every morning you wake up, every morning you wake up, before you brush your teeth, just go to the mirror and declare over yourself with your stanky breath and just say, I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. That would be a great way to start your day. If you're thinking about, if you're thinking about getting a face tattoo, I wouldn't, but if you want to anyway, I have a suggestion of what you should put on your forehead. You should put, I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. Next time you go to Starbucks and the barista says, what name should I put on a drink? You ought to tell her, I got three. I am loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. Next time you're on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat and you're not getting the comments or the likes or the views you thought you were going to get on that particular post, I dare you to cut off your smart Device that's making you stupid and just declare to yourself I'm not living for other people's likes because I'm already loved I'm a child of God and he oh come on somebody he is pleased with me that truth will change your life forever what if what if what if what if what if you filtered every circumstance Every negative comment from other people through that transcendent truth that you are loved, you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. Come on, you wouldn't lose your joy so easily if you were confident of that. Some of y'all wouldn't come into church looking like you constipated and been sucking on lemons if you knew you were loved, you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. Somebody give me a towel. That means when somebody comes up to you and they're like, I don't like you. So that's cool. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleased with me. (laughs) You know you're ugly. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleased with me. You know you ain't got no teeth. I know, but I'm still loved. I'm a child of God. And he... That truth. Change your life forever. But hear me. Oh, thank you, sir. Hear me. That's... That's where most believers stop, though. We always stop at the water. Now, don't get me wrong. The water is a significant place. Please don't miss this. Because the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. The water is the place, hear me, where you begin to find out who you are and whose you are. Note when the Father makes this declaration over the Son. This is before Jesus has done a single miracle. He hadn't walked on water yet. Hadn't healed anybody yet. Hadn't casted out one demon yet. He hadn't taken the two fish and the five loaves and multiplied and made the first red lobster yet. Hadn't been to the cross. Hadn't even gotten up from the grave. And yet the father still says, you're loved. You're my child. And I'm pleased with you. How? He hasn't done anything. I know. But this has nothing to do with performance. 
everything to do with proximity and relationship to me. You are still loved. You're still my child. And I'm pleased before you ever perform. But that's where most believers stop. We always stop at the water. So you leave a service like this, and it's easy to do because you leave a service like this, you're like, Ooh, did you hear the preacher tonight? Hey, I'm loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleasing me. And you feel real good in the water and you skip it in the parking lot. But I felt the need to warn you <laughs> that right after the water, you'll walk straight into the wilderness. Ooh. Right after you hear the voice from heaven, hear me, you will hear the voice from hell. This is what messes us up as believers because it's like we've almost been programmed and conditioned to think that once I have the approval of heaven, I won't have an attack from the enemy. Oh, yes. It's in our psyche. It's in our ideology. It's even being promulgated from some pulpits to the point that we have relegated the approval of God to a bigger house, a better car, a check in the mail. Oh, I got a check in the mail. God must be pleased with me. And we have relegated it to blessing. And don't get me wrong. I'm all for blessing. I am for blessing. I'm for blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings. But the life of Jesus is proof positive that the approval of heaven does not absolve you from an attack from the enemy. As a matter of fact, I'll go further to say that the reason why some of you are facing what you're facing right now, hear me, is simply because God is pleased with you. Yeah, you didn't do something wrong. You did something right. That's why hell is coming against you. Uh, conversely, the reason why some of you life is perfect right now and you tiptoeing through the tulips and Kool-Aid is coming out of your water fountain might be because your life is stagnant and you haven't done anything. But can I tell you, when you start messing with the kingdom of darkness, when you start saying, I'm going to be a light in the midst of darkness, when you start standing up for purity in the midst of perversion, when you start kicking demons out of your house and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord gets nervous and the devil starts to tremble I'm telling you it is it is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl from hell oh that'll tweet it is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl of hell and all I'm telling you tonight is receive the smile receive it but don't get shocked when you get the scowl from hell I'm going to be honest with you, a Celebration Church. When I was studying this text, I did not like this message at all. In full disclosure, which is pretty bad as a preacher. You should kind of like the message you're about to preach. And I told God, I don't like the sermon or this message. I told God. I told him. This is how we talk. I said, I don't want to go from the water to the wilderness. I told God, if I can pick it, I would rather have my water experience in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, that's what I told him. I said, I don't want to go from the water. So give me my water experience in the wilderness. I think this text would have read a whole lot better. Maybe I got too much imagination. But I think it would have read a whole lot better if it started off in the wilderness. And as soon as Satan rolls up on Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, then let a loud voice come from heaven and interrupt Satan in the middle of him talking and let God the Father say, what you mean if he is the son of God? He is the son of God because I already said he was that Satan. I'm going to tell you right now, you better put some respect on Jesus' name. You better put some respect on it. If you don't put some respect on his name, all three of us, Father, Son, and Spirit, we're about to jack you up. As a matter of fact, let there be water and then water shows up in the wilderness and the whole Godhead takes Satan by the throat and just starts drowning him in the water and says I wish you would say if one more time just drown him to death <laughs> and 
then, and then after Satan's lifeless body is floating in the water, that's when you call John the Baptist and say, we're ready for the baptism now. I just, <laughs> I just think it would read better like that, but it won't happen. I'm sorry, it will not happen. You will not get your water experience in the wilderness because God has this uncanny ability. He has this profound proclivity to take you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, it is God's system to take you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness. I'm going to say it till it annoys you. From the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, I want you to hear my voice in your head tomorrow at work as you're pouring coffee going from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, it is God's system. He takes you from the water to the wilderness. Oh, you do know in our text today that John the Baptist baptized people in the Hello, in the, but when they asked John who he was, he said, I am a voice crying out in the, crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? He'll take you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, now I see why the children of Israel had to go through the Red Sea. Because the Red Sea is comprised of water. And the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. And Pharaoh thought they were just slaves. But they were not just slaves. They were loved. They were children of God. And he was pleased with them. And when you are God's child, come on somebody, there is no stronghold. There is no bondage. There is no addiction. You heard the testimony tonight. I don't care if it's heroin, methamphetamine, whatever it is. When God wants to set you free... He will set you free and you'll be free indeed. Oh, come on. Somebody shout and give God some praise. Like you know freedom can happen in your life. Moses had to lift up his staff and split the water. They didn't go straight to the promised land. They went from the water to the They were in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. And God always has the system of taking you from the water to the wilderness. I don't want to sound like a broken record tonight. And I hope I'm not bringing my own presupposition to a biblical passage. But I told you earlier I got three kids, okay? Two-year-old, one-year-old, one in the oven, okay? We're going to have three kids under three. Pray for your boy. And... (laughs) (laughs) And because my kids are so young, uh, birth is not too distant of a memory to me. So I would even like to pose, posit, and postulate tonight that even the way we enter the earth is just a microcosm. It's just a mirror of this transcendent truth that God always takes you from the water to the wilderness. Can I preach this thing like I feel it? You do remember how you were conceived, right? You do remember how you were conceived, right? You were conceived in your mother's womb. Identity already confirmed in the womb. We're having a boy. We're having a girl. And isn't it funny? In your mother's womb, you were surrounded by... So much so that when your head got too big and your birth was imminent, your mama looked up over the dining room table and said, "Uh Uh-oh, my... 
just broke and rushed to the hospital. And do you remember your first birthday? Do you remember how you entered the earth? How did you come to the earth? Did you come to the earth laughing? No. Did you come to the earth singing? No. Did you come to the earth dancing? No. Did you come to the earth rapping? Started, started from the belly, now I'm here. No, no, no. That's not how you came into the earth. Every single baby around the world comes into the earth just like this. kicking crying at the top of your lungs and that's silly newborn new parents look at a baby that is crying at the top of his lungs and we're smiling talking about hey welcome to the world and they look at us talking about "Ah, ah, ah." and I am convinced hear me celebration church I am convinced That if you could translate and transcribe the cry of every newborn baby, the caption across the screen would read, what you mean welcome to the world? Don't you mean welcome to the... You spend your entire life wrestling with the weight, the frustrations, the complexities of the wilderness that you were born into. I've learned in my life to be quick to love, not quick to judge. Because you don't know the wilderness that some people were born into. Oh, yeah. The wilderness is a real place. And it is the intense heat of the wilderness that seeks to evaporate your experience from the water. And it can leave you with big questions like, who am I? Where am I? And how do I deal with what's in front of me? And here's the question that has to be answered before we leave here tonight. And that is, how are you going to handle the temptations that face you in your wilderness? How are you going to handle it? Some of you are shocked that I even asked the question. Because you're like, hey, Robert, how bad if you ask us such a question? I'm a child of the most high God. I've been walking with the Lord for years now. I floated in the room today. I had communion for lunch. What is this temptation that you speak of? I speak in tongues more than I speak in English. What is this that you talk about? Why I'm in church tonight. I know. But this is the water. Tomorrow you got to go to work. That is the wilderness. Oh, come on, somebody. Talk back to me in here tonight. Attention is in the transition. I want you to see tonight, and I'm almost done. Please don't miss this. I want you to see tonight that the same spirit, the same spirit that descended upon Jesus in the water is the same spirit that led him into the wilderness. Don't miss that in the text. The Bible says the spirit led Jesus to the wilderness. So if the spirit led him there, that means the wilderness is not the problem. The wilderness is life. Here's the problem. The problem is who is in the wilderness posted up waiting on you to get there. (laughs) Satan was already in the wilderness. You got to see this. Was already in the wilderness posted up waiting for Jesus to get there and he did not open his mouth nor clear his throat until After Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. But he was already in the wilderness watching him the whole time. Just posted up, just. This is what the enemy does. He waits. He watches. 
and then he attacks. This is what the enemy does. He waits. He watches. He's the original creeper. He watches. And he attacks. This has always been his tactic. He waits. He watches. And he attacks. He did it to Adam and Eve in the garden. This has always been his tactic. He was a snake. He was a serpent. And what did he do? He slid up in there and he waited. He watched. And then he attacked. He did it as a snake, as a serpent. Ooh, this is going to mess some of you up. I'll never forget watching the Discovery Channel. And they did a special on snakes. A special on snakes. And I almost changed the channel because I don't do snakes. But I'm glad I kept watching. I'm glad I kept watching because they said something that blew my mind. They said that snakes, don't miss this, are one of the only species that never blink. <laughs> Celebration. <laughs> This is a snake. <laughs> they don't blink. They just wait and they watch for moments of weakness and vulnerability. Oh, I watched another special they did. And this was about a lady that had a pet snake. She had a pet, a pet, a pet snake. The animal that Satan chose to manifest himself through. That was her pet. That's a different kind of cray cray. And... She ran into a problem. She ran into a precarious predicament because her pet snake stopped eating. The snake refused to eat. For several months, the snake would not eat anything. Out of concern, she takes her snake to the veterinarian and says, hey, I have a problem. She says, my snake, for the last few months, it won't eat. I used to feed it rats and rodents. It has just stopped eating. The veterinarian looked at the snake, looked at the woman, looked at the snake, looked at the woman, then began to ask her a litany of questions. said, ma'am, by any chance... Have you been sleeping with your snake? The lady said, yes, I have. I have. I got to be honest. He's a python. He's not poisonous. And his cage is right next to my bed. And there are some nights that I let him slither out and I let him come into the bed with me. I'll be honest. There there are some nights. Veterinarian said, hmm. Said, ma'am, while sleeping with your snake, have you ever woken up to your snake right next to you and stretched out beside you? The lady said, Yes. As a matter of fact, the other morning I woke up and my snake was right next to me and it was stretched out beside me. The veterinarian said, hmm. He said, ma'am, I have some good news and I have some bad news. So the good news is your snake is not sick. She goes, huh, thank you, Jesus. So the bad news is the reason your snake refuses to eat is because your snake is preparing to eat you. She said, the reason your snake has not eaten for several months is because your snake is strategically orchestrating its digestive system to have enough room for you. She said, the reason you wake up to your snake right next to you and stretched out beside you is because your snake is sizing you up and is trying to see how big it has to get to swallow you whole. The lady said, really? And I think that's how some believers act as it relates to the enemy. Do you think the enemy likes that you're in the house of God on a Wednesday night? Do you think the enemy likes that you're still lifting up your hands and worshiping in spite of the hell that's coming against you? Do you think he likes that you're hearing the word of God? No, he is watching and he's trying to destroy you. But how many are thankful that he's already been defeated because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ? so he can keep watching but I'm going to be who God has called me to be and do what he's called me to do 
I didn't come from Dallas to Fresno to scare you with snake stories. But I do want you to be alerted and aware of the fact that you have a real enemy who hates you. And he will attack you in the wilderness in moments of vulnerability. So here's the question. How are you going to win the war in your wilderness? How are you going to win the war? How many know if you're going to win the war in the wilderness, you can't just shout? You need a strategy. So I'm doing no preachers. This is probably done before. I'm going to give you four points. Watch this in four minutes. <laughs> four things that I want you to get down. Four things that you must know if you're going to win the war in your wilderness. If you're taking notes, get this down. If you're not taking notes, get this down. <laughs> Number one, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You must first know where you are. You got to know where you are. Notice when the enemy launches his attack on Jesus. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist has just said, Behold, the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the world. He's just had his inauguration. And right at the inauguration comes temptation. The enemy loves to battle you, hear me, at the beginning of a thing. As soon as you're getting started about something, you can almost expect an attack from the enemy because he loves to battle at the beginning. Come on, some of you in here tonight can testify. Anytime you're getting ready to start something, you can almost expect an attack from the enemy. Come on, getting ready to start a business, expect an attack. Getting ready to start a family, expect an attack. Getting ready to start a ministry, expect an attack. He wants to battle you right at the beginning. Come on, this should give some perspective to some of you who feel like from the day you were born, all hell came against your life. It did because the enemy knew the purpose and the destiny and the call that was on you and he tried to destroy you before you ever got started. It's always been his tactic. He loves to battle at the beginning. Hear me, there were seasons throughout Jesus' ministry he was always attacking, but there were seasons where the attack was more intense. He does it at the beginning, he does it again at the end, in the Garden of Gethsemane to the point that Jesus is sweating blood. Even when Jesus was on the cross, he attacked through a voice in the crowd who shouted out, he saved others, how come he can't save himself? Trying to get Jesus to come off the cross and abort his mission because he was right at the finish line. Come on, how many of you know sometimes it's right when you're at the edge of your breakthrough that the enemy will attack you the most? Oh, you got to know where you are. What season of life is this for you? If you don't know where you are, you'll never know how to fight back against the enemy or know your pathway to victory. Where are you? Where are you? You know the first question of God after Adam and Eve sinned? Guess what the first question of God was? Where are you? He knew where they were. He was trying to get them to realize where they were because if you don't know where you are, you'll never know your pathway to victory. Number two, you're going to win the war in your wilderness? You have to know that the word is your weapon. Oh, I could have church on that point right there. The word of God is your only weapon. It is all you got to fight back. It is your weapon. With every attack, what was Jesus' response? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Not it is hashtagged. Not it's tweeted. Not uh, it's in a podcast. Hold on, Pastor Randy preached it last week. Hold on, Satan. Let me download the podcast. No, it is written. The word of God is your weapon. Watch this. In the water, the word came over Jesus. In the wilderness, the word came out of him. See, church people get it twisted. 
when we're in the wilderness, we're in the wilderness, we want a word over us, don't we? When you're going through, you can, some church people, I can see it. They'll come to church with their hands folded, looking at the preacher like, mm, you better have something to say today because I'm in the wilderness. You better have something good to preach. But can I tell you, when you're in the wilderness, you need more than a word coming over you. You need more than a good sermon. Come on, you better have some word coming out of you if you're going to survive the wilderness you in. And you can't have it come out of you if you've never taken the time to put it in. You gotta eat the word of God. It is your only weapon. I'll tell you how God made this real to me. He made it real a couple of years ago when I went to Israel. I went to Israel and I had an awesome conversation with a camel. I talked to a camel. I think they got a picture of it, of this camel. Yeah, there it is. I talked to that camel in Israel and I, I was straight up with the camel. I said, hey, let me ask you something, man. I said, you live in the wilderness. I said, how do you survive the wilderness you live in? Camel said something that blew my mind. Camel said, he said, uh, whenever I sit down to eat or to feed Robert, he said, I'm able to take in large amounts of water and vegetation at one sitting. He said, I'm actually able to take in more than my body actually needs, so much so that I store it in my body. He said, that's the humps you were just riding on. So he says, as I'm going through the wilderness, it doesn't matter how the wilderness is around me. He said, I always got something stored up in me to pull back from that can sustain me in the midst of the wilderness. Come on, somebody. That's a picture of a believer who gets the word of God in you. It'll sustain you no matter what's going on around you. Number three, you're going to win the war in your wilderness as the worship team joins me. You got to know what is at stake. What is at stake? Can I tell you, Celebration Church, why I love Jesus so much? So many reasons. One of the reasons I love Jesus is because Jesus made decisions with my destiny in mind. Jesus made decisions through the lens of his love for humanity. With every decision, he was thinking about you thinking about me. And some people think he was just thinking about us on the cross and when he got up from the grave. But no, no, no. How many know he was thinking about us in the water and in the wilderness? Here's how I know he was thinking about us in the water. Have you ever thought about this? Why in the world would Jesus get baptized? Like, why would Jesus get baptized? You know what baptism is, right? Baptism is an external expression of an inner commitment that says, when I go down in this water, the old me is dying in the water, but the new me is coming out of the water, resurrected, ready to step into everything that God has for me. Why then would Jesus get baptized? I mean, come on, there's no old him to go down in the water. This is the perfect, sinless, spotless son of God. Come on, if anybody could have skipped baptism, Jesus is at the top of the list. Come on, this is why John the Baptist was even stuttering. We read it earlier at, at just the notion of this baptism. He's like, do you, you want me to baptize you? You should baptize me. What's wrong with you? Come on, y'all. This baptism makes no sense. This is LeBron James asking you for dunking tips. Come on. This is Adele asking you for voice lessons. This is our current president asking you for spray tanning tips. Like, this makes no sense. Like, why would Jesus get baptized? But then I remembered, then I remembered that Jesus did not just come to earth to die the death that we were supposed to die. He came to earth to live the life that we were supposed to live. He was our perfect example. 
he had to fulfill all righteousness. He said, John, you got to baptize me. I know I created you and I created the water you're about to put me in, but this is not about me. This is about those who are coming after me so they can have hope to know that you don't have to be defined by your current mistakes, by your past sins. Come on, how many are thankful tonight that there can be a new you that can resurrect into all that God has for you? He was thinking about us in the wilderness. Here's how I know. If he turns those stones into bread and he eats of it, he is no better than Adam that ate of the forbidden fruit and caused sin to enter the world. With every decision, he knew we were at stake. And can I tell you, when you're in your wilderness, when the enemy is breathing down your neck, you have to know what is at stake. You are not living your life just for you. There are people that are watching you. There are generations that are coming after you. Come on, the decisions you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. That's why you can't quit. That's why you can't give up. Even in the midst of the wilderness, don't forget what's at stake. You know what was at stake. Number four, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. This is my favorite point and my last one. You got to know where your help comes from. You got to know where your help comes from. I love it because after the enemy tried everything he knew how to try, he even tried to get Jesus worship. That was the final attempt. You know the enemy loves to try to steal your worship in the midst of the wilderness. Come on, some of you experienced it tonight. You've been going through the wilderness and the enemy said, how can you lift up your hands? How can you open up your mouth or what's coming against you? But can I tell you, don't you ever lose your worship in the midst of the wilderness. Don't you ever stop praising. Come on, it is a trick of the enemy to get you to stand there with your lips zipped and your hands down but I'm telling you in the midst of your wilderness if you can still lift up holy hands and still open up your mouth and say God I don't understand it I don't know why it's coming against me but I do know this you're a good God I do know this all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose I do know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper I do know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world come on is there anybody in here tonight you know where your help comes from your help comes from the Lord don't stop worshiping don't stop praising in the midst of the wilderness come on after the enemy left the Bible says angelic assistance came in the wilderness and began to restore Jesus come on that's a word for somebody in here tonight the enemy's been messing with you but you need to talk back to the enemy and say away with you Satan and I believe God is going to release angelic assistance come on somebody get up on your feet and give our God some praise in this place tonight Hallelujah. I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't you lose your worship. Don't you lose your praise. Even in the wilderness. Because hear me, you can face every lie from hell. You really can. If you hold on to the truth from heaven. And the truth from heaven is you are loved. You're a child of God, and he's pleased with you. Hear me, you're not what you're facing. You're not even, please don't miss this, you're not what the enemy is tempting you with. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. You think that just because the temptation is coming, 
that that's who you are. That is not your identity. You are who God says you are. You are his child. It don't matter what's coming against you. Come on, you can roll over that shame, all that condemnation. You are still his child. You face the liar from hell if you hold on to the truth from heaven. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.